No song today, folks. Not allowed to sing a song. I wanted to sing a song because we don't have to do a song, which all means don't do a song, Zach. I don't like it. So you can send him any angry emails because I know I you're all my biggest fan. The important thing here to note is I was trying to be like the nice, respectful, kind partner and say, you know, you don't have to overexert yourself and do the song at the beginning. And Zach has decided to take this and um, get butthurt about it and believe that I hated his singing voice. You know what? I want to fly like a podcast <laughs> to the sea. Fly like a podcast. Lucas and Zach carry me. I want to fly. Okay, there we go. Beautiful. I feel, Beautiful. I feel, I feel the dulcet tones of Zach Ford. <laughs> I know. I, I saw your cheeks bulge up. You had to take a drink to like calm yourself down, but I, I feel better. I feel better about myself. That, was, about the that was pure ethanol right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, welcome, folks. Welcome to the wonderful episode 29 of the Lucas and Zach podcast. Um, I don't know how we've done 29 episodes. Um, yeah. 29 episodes of foolishness. I don't think I've ever talked to any individual 29 times <laughs> in my life. Zach Ford has talked to me more since the podcast started than his <laughs> own <my> wife. <laughs> um, but yes, we are continuing our lovely discussion of plane movies. Zach and I love planes. I don't know if you know this. Real plane nerds over here. We paint planes together sometimes. We wear our matching Lucas and Zach podcast bathrobes and paint uh, little toy planes together. I may or may not have to get distracted, but yes, I love painting toy planes in a bathtub. Is this what we're talking about? No, bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> we were not in a bathrobe together. That would be a little weird. That doesn't matter. It would still no a pool. There's enough room. A bathtub is is not not a lot of room in a bathtub. Maybe a hot tub. Send a hot tub in our bathrobes and paint planes. Sounds good. Why are we painting planes? <laughs> because we love planes, Zach. It's plane month. Love, are these real? Are we painting full size planes in our bathrobes? Like yes, we we're that... running up inside down a tarmac, spraying with spray painters, spray painting yeah. a plane. In fact, Donald Trump hired us I'm to in. paint Air Force One. Okay, I'm not taking that money. What the fuck? Don't put me. Don't sign me up for this. <laughs> we have now. I will only paint Harrison Ford's Air Force One. Um, that's my president. Cheers, Harrison Ford. Cheers, HF. You should cheers to Ford, and I'm taking all that credit. That was for me. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> uh, but we are not here to talk about Air Force One. We did that. Although we could, because there's no president in this movie. We're here to talk about the all-time greatest action movie in the history of planes. Nonstop with Liam Neeson. <laughs> the greatest action movie in the history of planes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, I, this is going to be an odd episode. <laughs> All right, this we're not doing it yet. We've got last letterbox movies. Zach Ford, talk about something you watch that's not nonstop. Uh, yeah, so I, I had a, a series of, of films that kind of th threw me through sort of an emotional nostalgia um, spiral. <laughs> I've been having not a tough time, just a very deeply, um, <laughs> you know, reflective um, existential moment the past few days between watching, um, you know, Shithouse, which is what I'm going to talk about, and um, Monona's... Um, Amazing tale. Why am I blanking on the name of that? Marona something. It's an animated, French animated movie about a dog um, reflecting on its life. Uh, and and uh, whatever third movie also made me very emotional that I'm currently blanking on. Uh, 
but but shit house especially um it sends you through that kind of because it's about you know a guy in college kind of having a hard time adapting but but figuring his way through it oh in and of itself the frank Oz directed magic show um also deeply emotional i <laughs> couldn't talk about that too uh anyways shit uh it's about a freshman kind of having a hard time adapting and moving on from, you know, his loving family, um, but him figuring it out through it. But mainly it sends you through the rabbit hole that all like um, very grounded college movies can, which is the trap of nostalgia and missing out on that life and maybe having what I'm going to call false regrets about the life you live in college. Cause this is, I, I've been going, having very conflicting thoughts where I go like, oh, like, did I like experience college well enough? Did I like, um, do everything that that have the adventures that I need to have an a interesting life. I was like, then I think about too much. I'm like, yeah, I fucking love college. Why am I like getting upset? <laughs> like I did live this life. And so I just go to those traps of like feeling sad in your nostalgia, but then realizing that there's no reason to. Because then I also like able to come full circle and like why am i even feeling nostalgic because i'm like really happy with where i am now and everything that's going on and so so all, overall very positive <laughs> turnaround to where it made me kind of evaluate that i you know i'm happy with my place in life that's a real uh weird connection to have to a movie about college from shit house but that, that that these kind of movies just make you because they're so grounded in reality and a universal experience um you know, help you connect to your own experiences and, and think a little deeper about it. So um, I don't know if I can watch three movies like that in a row again. It, it's kind of been a, it's been a rough trip. <laughs> I've not seen shit else, but I do have to say, anytime you get a movie about college that is, doesn't, does like place to the reality of what college is rather than like the yeah. fanciful, ridiculous, like you don't get this with like a 22 Jump Street because it's just too ridiculous and they have too much mm -hmm. gear yeah. and stuff. But like anytime you get a real college movie, Oh yeah, I get those moments where I'm just like, man, did I do the right thing in college? Like, oh, I spent all this time studying. Did I not experience enough? Oh, I didn't join this. Like, you have to, I just, it's, it's, in some ways, it's such a great period of your life. But um, yeah. the instant you're done with it, you just have so many regrets. And like, you could have done very well in college. Um, like, I, I, I'm not a person who looks back at my college experience and is like. Man, I you know the dean almost kicked me out four times. Like I don't have any like bad stuff in my thing. Like I I was a very good student. I did like I did all my stuff. But even looking back at this, I'm like, you know, did I over? You know, I have moments where I like, man, did I just overemphasize academics too much? Did I spend too much time focusing on in the classroom? Did I not develop relationships with professors? Did I not do lab work? Did I not like all these things? Looking back at my life, I was just like, you start, you know, you can start pulling at the thread, and it just it never ends. You can you can do this with a hundred different things. But that's why I said I, I was able to come full circle and understand the reality. I said that's why I call it false regrets because I think it is it, it's a mirage. Those regrets, yeah. those fears, it's, it's not really based in in a reality. It just it's that ten years time that kind of blurs the actual memory. Um, yeah. I will say what I what I what, what's really special about the college experience. And I said I really like college was my my life, and I was really you said you were all about academics i maybe should have done better academics i, I was <laughs> like a crazy person but i i did spend long hours in the vegetarian co-op chatting to 4 a.m i live my social life i was just always around people that's like um, the worst place i spent a lot of time in the gym in yeah, the classroom that's the worst place Chill <laughs> gym in the classroom dude I, I was the i was the most boring college experience ever i literally trekked a route between like where i lived the gym 
the library and classroom and like I would get like food in between and that was like the entirety of my college experience I mean I literally spent like eight hours a day in our vegetarian co-op kitchen <laughs> sitting at tables and that like sounds terrible eating non-stop and grilled cheeses and pierogies and chatting with friends and binge drinking tea that sounds, that sounds I would rather be in the gym than doing <laughs> mine was like making connections with humans and you're making connections with a treadmill so yeah Hey baby. Uh, but, but but I think what's my uh, experience, I think shit house gets right too, is it's just like the time of your emotion is just really on your sleeves. It's like you just feel everything the strongest that you'll ever feel things in your life. Like oh, and that, yeah. I think that's an, I think it's just important. It's it, it I mean it's a time of self-discovery, but you're also so fragile. Like you're so yeah. fragile, you can like you think you're one thing and then somebody does something that shows you you're not the thing you think you are, and you're just crushed. Like you, you're so fragile in these moments where, like, you know, you're 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 kind of venturing out into the world, you know, the first time without like all the the safeguards around you. But also, you just you hit these moments and you're just like one failure seems like I remember just in college, like how you don't have the sense of reality, you don't have the sense of like the breadth of the world. So you do you you know you have one failure and it feels like the biggest failure on the earth, and like it is you know, it just crushes you. And like, it's something in like, you know, two years later, you know, even like from like freshman to senior, by the time you're senior, you start, you start realizing, oh, one thing going bad isn't indicative of like the entire world falling apart. But like when you're a freshman, you, you know, you're so scared of everything and bad things just seem like something you can't even deal with if you want to. Yeah. Um, I'm for real sold. We're going to do a college month. I'm in. I just, I, I would talk about college for a whole month. It would be a great experience. I actually think this would be kind of amazing if we did a college one and we try to find movies covering the different years of college. It would be kind of cool. If that exists. Does anyone care about your sophomore year of college? It does not exist. Maybe not. There's definitely senior year. There's definitely... Well, you could do grad to... school. As grad school is boring. Grad school students. Well, I graduated, but... I graduated in the spring. I got a semester left. Right. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> Zach, I, I can send you my transcript <laughs> if you're worried about me failing. Um, I'm not gonna fail. We'll be fine. I will be a graduate unless I die between then. No, no. We'll, we'll spend um, the whole month talking about whether I should go back again and get my doctorate. Yeah, baby. That's what we're gonna think about. How much does that up your salary if you get your doctorate? Um, I, my the point is so I don't have to teach kids anymore, and I can go oh, teach adults. Um, adults about kids so i could be oh. a teacher. that would be my goal professor ford professor okay. ford i like so fit for that lifestyle i'd be a great hey man you could be the college. second professor i mean harrison ford was professor ford yeah i'd be, the, Dude, second be the second the second best professor will a girl write i love you on her eyelids it happens anyways <laughs> not in class because they're 12 but it just happens on the streets <laughs> It would be amazing if, like, the 12-year-olds are running out of like, the I would, and then I have to report that to the principal. This girl's like, oh, it would be real bad. True. It would be real bad. In the end, you know, Joe's me, it's kind of like, they're adults. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Shithouse. I'm going to see Shithouse. That's the plan. Hey, we're going to cover in future college month, I decide. I'm watching it anyway. 2020 catch-up, baby. <laughs> um, weirdly talking and weirdly sort of connected, the last movie I watched was uh, a rewatch of Toy Story 3 which is the Toy Story movie where uh, the main character decides to go to college. I was so confused with <laughs> the connection for a while. I was like, we're connecting shit house to Toy Story and I didn't know where we're going. Um, 
I love all the Toy Stories. I'll just say that off the bat. I um I'm a ridiculous Toy Story stand at this point. Um yeah. Toy Story 3 is really emotional to me. Um I think the uh overlying message of just moving on and kind of like the first two Toy Stories are about growing up and accepting new people and accepting new times and changing times and age. And this is the one where it's really kind of the crossroads movie where it's like, you know, if you're a toy, um, you can't be played with forever. I'd also like, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who does this, but I do think about how, like, I definitely had toys when I was a kid. Yeah. And I definitely stopped, like, the hard stop, like, even, like, taking them down and, like, looking at them, like, you know, I didn't, like, play with them when I was, like, a teenager, but, like, I, there would be, even, like, 16, maybe 17, there were still, like, toys and stuffed animals that I looked at and was like, oh, I love this one. And I definitely think that college is kind of that hard stop on that. And it is, um, I don't know, it's really emotional because it's the third movie and you love these characters. And even though they're toys, they're as human as any other character. And so watching them having to, to first think that they were just been completely abandoned and thrown out like trash. And then realizing they're in a terrible situation and then realizing, oh, we weren't supposed to be trash. And then having to get rescued. And then even, you know, at the end that they think they're all going to die and they're just happy to die together. And um, and then I think the final happy to die together, but coming to terms with their death, they're, they're coming to like, terms. Yeah, happy. Come happy, baby. I'm not saying celebrating. I'm saying <laughs> if they're gonna die, they're gonna die as a friend group because they love each other. And I think then, I think the most emotional scene in maybe any Pixar film is um, when Andy gives Bonnie all of them. That scene always makes me cry, just like his passing on. Like there's just so much. Um, it's an entire movie you spent watching Andy be like just ready to move on and go into college. And it's like the one moment where even Andy takes a step back and reflects on his life with these toys. And as he passes them on to Bonnie, he kind of explains who they are. And it's this, this really wonderful um, moment of passage for these toys. And like, he knows that Bonnie has the same spirit as him and will play with them like he did and has the same like level of imagination. And um, it is kind of interesting. That I guess you can think of, Toy Story is all about imagination in some ways. And like the reason that these toys are alive is because they had two kids that wanted to play with them like this. And I don't know. It's just, I, I it's a wonderful film. I know there's people who are detractors of three. I love three. Um, I was worried when they did four after three, cause I thought three was a perfect ending and four is also great. So, um, and a better ending to the story. I think so. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not as emotionally. I don't think I cry as much as with like at the end of four. I don't know if that's no, necessarily. Four would to... be one. Like if I watched amongst these other movies this weekend, that would send me through an emotional <laughs> spiral. But not make me cry. Those are different things. But I think yes, it's no, I, agree. I think it's just deeper and richer than three. It is honestly very impressive that they came back after three and were able to do another movie that actually had a point. And rather than yeah. seem like a cash grab to just continue this character. By the way, this this um, segment is just becoming our like test trials for future months because I'm like, let's do all Toy Stories. Like we're mega fans. We can straight up do a Toy Story month. We could do a Toy Story. One, two, three, and four. And just because we are both like, like they're all four perfect movies. Mm -hmm. I think it may, makes sense for us because I think we're. And then there's a bonus episode. We're the upper echelon of fans for it. Bonus episodes on Forky's Adventures. Um, bonus episode where uh, we read the Forky's Adventure fan fiction that I write. And we'll <laughs> is this is this not safe for work fan fiction? 
Okay. I, I'm really against taking innocent kids things and making not innocent. So that it, it, is, okay. it is. I'm just safe, asking, I just safe, was asked, safe for children. Okay. I was just asking the question. There are some weird people in the world. Just wanted to make sure you were not one of them. But you do see Forky's deck. So. Do you like do you like Toy Story Three, Zach? Uh, it's my least favorite of of of, of the bunch. Um, just I just don't find it as as complex as the other ones emotionally. I think because it does, um, you know, run re recycle some some former themes, especially from two. Um, but I still enjoy it like a bit. I still love being with all my best friends um, together on screen. Um, I, I think lots is a very um, thrilling villain for it um but as far as what i emotionally connect to it, it's the least of the four um i have been i did watch it recently i tried to play a lot of toy story around uh, my child and we have a toy story um for ball it's a toy story forky shirt um and i just because ki little kids like to watch things on repeat and i'm just trying to make sure that he's going to either like toy story the muppets and that's like if i have to watch anything five thousand times it has to be toy story the muppets <laughs> paddington where's the paddington? paddington yeah we haven't done that um he's about to watch some sundance movies with me sunday morning me and theo theo's gonna be cultured baby <laughs> more cultured than i will um with that being said let's continue on to our main discussion non-stop with liam neeson yeah and, uh, you know, this is the time of the day when we get the Zach Ford plot summary. It's the time of the day. I know this is a, <laughs> a, a, a week podcast, but Lucas has to do this every week. I just call him and give him a plot summary of whatever movie. I actually require – Zach texts me a plot summary <laughs> every day at 4.36. He has a lot of ellipses in the middle of it. <laughs> Sometimes he falls asleep in the middle of it and has to come back several hours later. Uh, so, so nonstop. Zach, that's uh, not that's not nonstop. Nonstop. I did it right. Nonstop. Non non <laughs> nonstop. Nonstop. Okay. Wait, isn't there a dash? Non dash stop. Yeah, there we go. Non dash stop. Non dash stop. Everybody's favorite uh, plain action movie according to Lucas. <laughs> you have the, the Liam Neeson playing Liam Neeson. You um, airplane marshal. Wait, air marshal, not airplane marshal. He's an air marshal. Yeah. Yeah, as you just don't call it airplane marshal. I don't think it matters. It's a federal air marshal. Excuse me. Federal air marshal because he was too drunk to be a cop, so that he gets demoted to air marshal. He got fired from his job. But they're like, yeah, you're still you're still good for planes, my friend. That is, that is definitely one of the lines in the movie that <laughs> happens, and they just move straight past it without acknowledging <laughs> the lunacy of saying you do, you drink too much and are a liability as a cop. We're gonna put you on an airplane in the oh. sky. This movie thinks very low of air marshals, and it comes out in a number of instances, and we will talk about it. It's definitely the bottom of total pop of law enforcement. I mean, that's the whole theme of the movie. By the way, I know we always say, like, we always get spoilers, uh, but we never give a warning. I just want to make sure, because this one's, like, extra, like, it's a mystery. Just yes. know we're, we're saying everything. Yeah, please, uh, if you are going to watch Nonstop, watch it before you listen to the rest of the podcast, because this movie does heavily rely on you not knowing what is happening as the movie goes. Yeah. So normally I don't feel a need to say that, but but today I do. Um so so he's drunk air marshal Liam Neeson. Yes. Um he goes on the plane. Um all, all of Hollywood's on this plane with him, which is, this is a suspicion number loaded, one. Loaded <laughs> so, cast. Yes, we will talk about that. Uh uh 
Liam Neeson gets a message um, on his like air marshal pager. Um, it says, hey, I know you. Uh, there's like, I'm going to kill people in this plane if you don't give me money. And he says a lot of personal stuff about him. It's all confusing. There's a lot of, um, this are not just going to say plane shit. It's going to be quiet plane shit. It's like chaos happens really quietly for like the first hour of him trying to um, figure out who did it without freaking out the um, all the passengers on the plane. So talking quietly with, uh, you know, the stewardess and the um, pilots and Julianne Moore, for some reason, gets, gets on the inside of it. Um, who's just, you know, she's playing a Karen. Um, and some, he, the first person that dies after 20 minutes, which is a lot better than one minute. All these movies we watch about Ransom, Air Force One, um, nonstop are doing a lot better than taking a pellet. They make so much more sense than I'm going to kill someone every minute and then run out of hostages in a half Yeah, I don't, I don't know if people realize this. A minute is not a lot of time to do anything. <laughs> no. Let alone <laughs> something. So 20, 20 minutes makes more sense, especially when, spoiler, they don't even care about the money. Um, only one of them does. But uh, anyways, he, he actually kills the first person. So that's some real like hoping that things are going to turn out right on the terrorist things um, because he kills the other air marshal who was sneaking on cocaine uh, and thought he was after him for that and tries to shoot Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson kills him anyways. So, so he's the first killer. So now everyone thinks Liam Neeson is the terrorist and there's hijacking. Um, now loud plane shit happens. People start to freak out as people start to die. He's trying to like handcuff people that are suspects. Um, so all this plane shit chaos happens and um, jump ahead. A few people die. Uh, and then it turns out Scoot McNary was just real mad about 9-11 um, and his dad died. So he decided to hold a plane hostage to tell them they need to have better security. So blame Scoot McNary for why you have to take shoes off at the TSA. It's really his fault. Um, and Zach was joking, just to be clear. Please don't sue us, Scoot McNary. Scoot McNary, and with the help of Nate Parker, who was like military trained, and they both were under other, you know, disguises, but them together were somehow manipulating all this. It makes no sense how they got any of this done. There's a bomb on the plane in the cocaine. How they get it? They're magic, they're illusionists. Scoot McNary trained for years, um, in an illusionist school to get this stuff done. Um, but of course, it ends up um, Liam Neeson kills him. They like crash land the plane. Um, also, boy, awesome. slow motion bullet shot while the plane is like crashing. Pretty yeah. tough, fucking awesome. Because Kumi is also like, I don't care about the money. We're all gonna go down, and so he just hopes the plane crashes and blows up because they blow up the end of the plane, and the plane goes. Rrr. Please, can you just make that gesture again? It's <laughs> a plane wobbling after it's exploded. All right. All right. Liam Neeson. Here we go. I'm going to act it out. Scoot me nary. I don't care if I die. <laughs> um, There's hand yeah. gestures for those watching it. Or I love it. On pod form. You guys are missing out. I mean, YouTube viewers get that extra little bit of stuff. You also missed me give a deep hug to a pillow weight. He was talking about the warmth of Toy Story, and I thought I just needed a hug. <laughs> Let's talk about the cast for a second. This cast is crazy loaded. So um, you start with the movie and you're like, okay, Liam Neeson, this is fine. makes sense. Now, just to be clear for everyone, I looked it up. The budget of this movie is assumed to be somewhere between like 30 and 50 million. So not like a crazy high budget. Yeah. So you're watching um, Liam Neeson. He's coming through TSA. He's checking in. You notice, okay, um, uh, Nate Parker is there. Corey Stoll is there. Um, 
some other people. Uh, you get uh, Corey Hawkins is there. Yeah. Um, you get on the plane. Julianne Moore comes on. Um, Real power window. The Real two the two flight attendants are Oscar recent Oscar winner Lapita Nyong'o and Michelle Dockery at the height of Downton Abbey fame. Did she? At, did Lapita Nyong'o film this before? I don't know. I don't know. But um, I think it did. There's so many people that I'm like convinced you're forgetting somebody too. Uh, Scoot McNary is there. Uh, Shay Wiggum is the guy on the phone that he's talking That's to. That's the most bewildering. That's like an actual recognized name actor is on the phone. Um, people know Anson Mount. He's like a also in the height of his boardwalk empire fame, just like Downton Abbey. There's like a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of people. But like, this is like a crazy loaded cast. Like this is the cast you would see if they were doing some big drama or like expansive epic or something. But it's this, you know, it, this is the funniest thing is, you know, Liam Neeson in these action movies always has usually has a pretty decent cast. Yeah. But this is like this is it jacked up to a thousand. I think I've actually been... the commuter does the similar thing. If you go watch the commuter with Liam Neeson, the, there are a bunch of random like four second cameos from passengers who would go on to be like Oscar nominated Oscar potential um actors like I think uh Letitia Wright is in like four seconds of the it's it's a very random he's always had this he has this weird thing where he has very famous people yeah. who would go on to be super famous in very small roles. It's just smart casting. By the way I think this should be a thing. I think super I love it. should flash in everything for just a half second in the in and above itself the the Fangas Patrick show. Um, there's like one second you just see Bill Gates in the audience and they don't do anything with it. You see him for one second and you move on. <laughs> I was like, what is this? But anyways, um, it works. Though. Think, it helps the movie. They, I think they got lucky. First of all, because a lot of people right before they get mega famous or something else. Yes. Like Corey Hawkins wasn't really a name. You know, Corey Stahl is a character actor. I think that's a normal size role for him at most points. I said Shay Wiggum kind of normal, but also he just got stuck on the phone. <laughs> The Lupita Nyong'o is, is super bewildering, especially if it's after yes, she has nothing to do. It was shot in 2012, so I think that's the Okay, reason. it was made before. It was a late release then. That took a long time. Right. Oh, yeah. I was thinking this was 15. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, I, I, but why I think it's very helpful is because as, since it's a, it really is a whodunit. There's a lot of yeah. Christie-esque-ness to it. Of like here's all these people that present all these characters. He, he spends a lot of time giving you a little bit to be aware of who's on this plane, and and there's mm -hmm. some roles of who they're on the plane, like murder on the train, or more murder in the Orient Express. You're aware of all the passengers. That way, especially with recognizing them, you're like any of them could be the killer. Because if yes. it's the unknowns and like Corey Stahl comes, you're like, oh, it's going to be Corey Stahl. Like he's the biggest actor. But since you have a lot of you know known character actors, you're like it could be anybody. Well, this is the thing we criticized in Man on Fire, where in Man on Fire, you're like, Mickey Rourke is way too big to be this five-second role. Why is he the only big actor in this entire movie? He cannot be in this movie for five seconds, and of course he comes back. I do. You're right. It works because the movie needs you to believe a lot of people, and um, you're more likely to believe people you recognize are, are like an important part of the story. Um it doesn't feel because really it is surprising who it is. You really don't. It's hard to predict. It could be anybody at any point. There are also, I do think, legitimately parts of this movie, maybe the first forty-five minutes or so, where you think that the person threatening to do it is not on the plane. 
Yeah, that's how I, I was thinking most of this, the time. Yeah, I think I think you're supposed to think that. I think that's the intention. Yeah. Do you start realizing. Give any exact hints that you know they are on the plane? I guess when the they say they're on the plane, but then there is um, there it's really hard to identify who's using their phone at times. Yeah. That's one of the big wings they try to go for. Is Liam Neeson is texting with this person and is trying to identify which passenger it is by looking at the passengers on the security cams and trying to see who's texting. And I think part of the reason it makes it hard to do is I believe a lot of the texting is done by a computer program on the guy's phone. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you realize that later when it starts the final bomb turning off, that a lot of it was not an individual typing out sentences. It was a program meant to send messages. How could it? Oh, I guess it never really responded in conversation. It doesn't ever directly respond. It's always it, it always sends yeah. messages to him. And it, it also, like, it's clearly set up to taunt him at certain moments versus give information. Like, there's yeah. certainly some time aspects of it, and some of it replies. That kind of, I don't know, adds to the flaws, just because it's a lot of, like, hoping that it's all going to work out on their part. There's, like, no way everything they need to go right to, to make their um, hostage situation work goes right. There's a lot of luck coincidences for for their plan to work and so when they have their phone pre-set up to send messages they're like overly confident that like he's going to shoot the that one especially that they know that he's going to go to the bathroom and it's going to kill him like he could have how do they know the other air marshal was going to be so they told him to they told him to go there remember but yeah but not to get defensive and try to shoot Liam Neeson he wouldn't have killed him if he wouldn't be so uh, defensive about it that's like you're really expecting someone to act in certain ways that you can't always 100% guarantee. Sure, but I think you're also putting if you have, if you know the guy has cocaine, and you've threatened him with a bomb, and you've threatened him in the way that we saw in the text yeah. message up here. Going, you kind of had an idea of what mood he would be in and why he'd be suspicious. Suspicious. But you and can't guarantee. Would. It's still hoping no. for the best. Hoping for no, the worst. Yes, I should be called like <laughs> hostage for the best. Um, I mean, most of the shit. I honestly, I. I'm going to keep talking about the magic show I watched. <laughs> like, I, I like can explain stuff. He did so much more than anything they did. They, like, straight up are illusions. I did, they make no, they don't really try to explain how they accomplished a lot of their plan. Um, yeah. And, and it, but it, that, I think that makes it not seem very feasible. Like, how did they get the bomb in his luggage without him knowing? How did they know everything about Liam Neeson? They don't make any sense of that. How did they get all his personal information and know his story? Um, I mean, I don't think some of that would be that. How do they get the plane to go bobble bobble? <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot about planes, guys. Planes go woo, and they go bobble bobble. <laughs> I actually so like they relied you're... on the turbulence at some point for them to be able to to like get away with something multiple times. Like turbulence killed someone. That was the other one. Just like jostled. The pilot up and when the, that's when the pilot like died from his like allergy reactions, like the turbulence went, everyone got distracted, and then the the pilot dies because people were like flying up and, and down. They're like, wait, are you saying the pilot died because he flew up and down? No, that's distracted them. Why he was able to be done? because oh. everybody else was bobbling on the plane while the plane was going bobble bobble. I think that was just a lucky coincidence. I don't think they needed everyone There's to no distract. way that is lucky that much turbulence. They controlled that thing. And there's another time where the plane like reacts differently and changes things because of why. They somehow are controlling the plane. They don't explain it. 
they're not a controlling the plane though. That just happens to be random. Like that's random flight pattern, flight patterns. What happens? The reason they takes out the pilot is that there's the hole in the bathroom that he pulls out the thing and shoots him with the dart. Yeah, but they did this turbulence. Yeah. How could they know the turbulence was going to happen? They didn't. They just happened to be. It just, it just happened, happened at the exact time. The twenty minute. It's just. It's just. It's no. It's that timer enough. The, t the turbulence is just a random occurrence during the flight. It has nothing to do with the actual plan. But that's what caused Liam Neeson to be distracted so they could get away with it. So it was that that incident would not work if it wasn't for the turbulence. At the exact second that the 20 minute timer was going off. Yeah, but the, the turbulence was not like long lasting. I don't I don't think this is I think you're I think you're I'm reading a private point. message from John Colette Sarah, whatever his name is. I, need <laughs> to know. I don't think that I don't think I think you're I think you think the turbulence is more plot based than it actually is. I think it's I think that was just a otherwise word. it's just um I'm shockingly coincidental. Yeah, there's coincidences in this. Yeah, there's a lot of questions in it. That's really See, here's the thing. I'll, I'll make the case. I think Zach and I are in a very different plan in this movie. I, don't I like Zach. Zach barely likes this. I, had fun. I like this quite a lot. It's, I like this fun. it's real stupid. That's fun. It, it is, but it's also like kind of really engaging. And this is a similar argument I think we had on Unstoppable. I get really caught up in the tension of this movie mm -hmm. and the um, the mystery box aspect of it and like Lee Mason trying to find something. I find that really engaging. I'll just admit I'm kind of all in on the Liam Neeson old guy action movies. Like I really like most of these outside of like the Taken sequels. I think basically all of them are good. Um, kind of who you aspire to be, right? Like you're really hoping to be six year old Liam Neeson. I'll take it if I can be a six foot five Irish dude. I'm happy with that. Yeah. No, but I, I just think I, I gotta think who my old person spiritual animal is. Yeah, it's someone it's like Danny DeVito. Calm and pushful. That's rude. <laughs> It's really unnecessary. Let's let's get. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Your spirit animal as an old person is Yoda on that hut on Dagobah. My usually my spirit animal is like whatever guy's like playing chess in the park and like has nothing to do but play chess in the park. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Um. So I think this movie works really well because they create tension with two components. You have the time frame. So like this works from these movies work for me when you have a time frame and there's a terrorist saying do something in 20 minutes or something bad will happen. And yes, I acknowledge that there's a lot of coincidences in this film. Mm -hmm. I also kind of like the plot of playing people against each other. And I like the fact that it sets it up so that Liam Neeson has to make the first kill. Now, and the other guy is shady, but he's not shady for the reason they thought he was shady. And I also like the cool like dart aspect. I like some of the aspects with the anaphylactic shock. Um, I like the tension of the limited time and the enclosed spaces. I like the fact that you have a mystery on a closed space. No one can leave. No one can come. No one can contact out. No one can contact in, really. And I just think it builds a really, really, really good tension um, and then becomes a really engaging movie when you have a bunch of uh, different actors that you recognize who could all potentially be a good or bad thing. And I also think this movie is really interesting because it, it plays on like the dual morality of people because people you think are good turn out not to be good and people who you think are bad turn out to be good. And I think there's kind of a, they're playing a lot of like people jump to reactions. Like everyone thinks yeah. Liam Neeson is hijacking the plane and then realizing he's not. And you think Scoot McMary is a good guy when he tends to be a bad guy. You think Corey Hawkins and, and Corey Stoll are bad guys who turn out to be good. You think Nate Parker is good, but turns out to be bad. I think that a lot of that just works for me. 
It's your quick judgments of trust. And I play with that a lot. Like Julia Moore, they kind of, they, they toy with maybe she's up to, they let, they give that one second. They let her kind of always be good, even though she's like a monster, just a monster. As a human. Wow. Oh, wow. I need her to get off the plane. She's a real Karen. Um, she, she spends like 20 minutes, but like, I need a window seat. You messed up my reservation. I didn't get a window seat. And, and, and the thing is, she only needs a window seat because, like, she just wants to look out the window in case, like, it's her last time. It's not even like she needs it to be calm. She's not even scared of flying. Just some, like, I, I want to look out the window. She some saves fucking a small bullshit. child, Jack. She saves a small child, Jack. Exactly. Here's another moment um, that was really bugging me. Um, as All well, right, go ahead. As far as her actions, I don't know if I can remember it, but there's another. She's she's really whiny and think her her needs and privileges need to be met before other people's needs and privileges, and then they <laughs> they go against the letter saver. I also like not a big Julianne Moore fan. I bet you she's All a Karen right. in real life. I'm calling it now. Sorry, Julianne Moore, but I'm on to you. I'm on Team Julian Moore in case you would like um, to sue Zach. Please just sue Zach and not the whole podcast. Um, uh, I, I, I forgot what thought I was going to say. Oh, I, I just want to say, so we're talking about the tension, um, you know, within, I think it works really well for the first hour or so. I think when I took, I call it quiet plane shit, when he's trying so hard to solve it without freaking out and it's everything's like behind the curtains. And, mm-hmm. and I find that all very interesting, just that like it's a tonal control. Yeah, and, and, and even even as a it's tonal control too, just trying to keep it like calm, but like still thrilling and suspenseful. But but there's just this kind of quietness to it, um, and, and I found that unique to this film. I think once the passengers start to become suspicious of some shit's going down and it becomes more chaos, it becomes a lot less interesting. It becomes fairly repetitive. Of they, you know, are shouting out the same kind of complaints and the same. There's like multiple scenes of them having the same suspicions of him. They spend way too long with like thinking he's the that Liam Neeson is, is the one holding hostage and everyone turned against him. That just kind of runs circles for like a half hour. Interesting. Okay, so I would actually disagree. I do agree the quiet stuff is more interesting and my yeah. favorite part of the movie. But I think if the characters, if the if the passengers of the plane don't have a reaction to what he's doing, then I think it is. Um, it doesn't make any sense. I think if I was, if I was on that plane, I don't think you need it for that long. I, think I just it, think that I think it was special. Maybe it's a little too long. I do also think that you know you've got the outside influence of they're all watching news coverage and the actual um, airline thinks it's a hostage situation. So I do think it kind of makes sense why they get stuck in that gap. Um, and I do think it makes it. I actually think in some ways it rattles the tension up because it forces Liam Neeson to go from having one threat to having a potentially a lot of threats if everyone thinks he's the terrorist? I think my main complaint is that sometimes in my classroom and like all the kids are talking at once and I just need a break. And so when I'm watching this airplane, everyone's just shouting at the same time. I just want them to be quiet. I want them to shut their damn mouths and sit down. That seems like a ridiculous and- request. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm just easy annoyed by crowds complaining. So this whole like forty minutes of them whining about Liam Neeson holding them hostage, I'm like, oh, this is Zach. Ford, Zach Ford, like the people who think they've been captured by a terrorist to just shut up and sit down for a yeah, while. Yeah, just calm down. Um, shut up and dribble. Shut up and read your Sky Mall. I just, I understand the complaint. I also think that's a ridiculous complaint in the context <laughs> of the story. Um, uh, <laughs> The point is, I think it, it it gets rid of, I think, what was interesting about the film, disposes it pretty quickly for something a little more generic, a little more seen. I guess it makes sense. 
But now you're here talking about, but it makes, it wouldn't make sense if they wouldn't get angry, but it makes sense with that, that this fucking no, bottle no. bobble. In the I think there's coincidences in the way that the actual mystery plays out. But I think it would make no sense if, if the if the passengers on the ship were just completely cool with this guy walking around. Like, there's clearly something going on. If you're if you were a passenger on this plane, you would realize very quickly something weird is happening. He's walking around. He's talking to too many. He's only talking to a couple of people. That's weird. Like, you'd figure out something was weird because they, to them, they think he's a regular passenger, and they're like, "Why is this guy doing this?" They feel they they figure out he's a federal air marshal. Does but it I make they, Does it make sense to you that also no one believes him? They even the pilots, everyone turns against them. There's like safety's in line. People have died, and they're like, actually, let's like turn away the one guy who's like in charge of protecting. Yes, leave nothing. Yes, because it's scary, and people oh. don't make smart decisions when they're scared. And it is a scary situation if you're those people. Liam, so air marshals don't really have a position in our society that makes us trust them. They're oh, people that this movie agrees with you. No, no, but hear me out. They're not like people we see – they're not something consistent we see everywhere that we see as a sign of safety and security. They're people we should only see in the worst of scenarios. Mm -hmm. That's basically – we should never know an air marshal's on a flight unless something goes bad. So to most Americans and to most people watching this, I think you watch this movie and you go, I don't feel comfortable that the air marshal is doing stuff. And the fact that the air marshal is doing – Liam Neeson does a lot of talking and looking, but not a lot of action. So I think if you're a pastor, you would really get kind of scared. Yeah. So And also, one... I would also criticize Liam Neeson as an air marshal is not very good at his job always. He gets a little overly – he's overly rough in some circumstances. Um, he's There's not always – There's some racial profiling stuff that's real uncomfortable too. That he's treating the one black guy with a lot more aggression than the other people. Um, I actually don't think that's profiling as much as you think it is. I, I don't think it is profiling. I think it's a uh, bad film to make that decision. I, I think within the film it makes sense, but they should have been a little more um, um, op not open-minded, but I think a little more aware of how how that that looks and presents see, itself here's and the they, thing they i think they could have done the same thing with the white actor see i think it, it works and i think it doesn't come up his profile because he's clearly the character that is causing the most problems i and, agree but in our societal thing it's just a bad look and you should have just made that character white that's that's fair that's fair that's fair <laughs> I actually do like the fact that they kind of subvert the muslim stereotype that at the when he's at tsa looking around he like looks at he like takes a double look at the the muslim dude but then the muslim guy actually turns out to be like the completely clean like nice helpful doctor guy hey it's also like taking away a stereotype and replacing it with another but more positive stereotype that they're doctors yeah fair that's fair <laughs> i don't know is arab doctor is that a stereotype it, that is definitely a stereotype yeah. see i don't think i i have not heard them it's one of those like you're expected to be like a professional lawyer see i see that with Asians, I don't. It's very similar. All right, all right, all right. I will trust you on this. Um, and maybe I make it up. I'm not. I know I'm sound like an asshole assuming stereotypes of different cultures. So I, I, I actually that? like that this fact this movie kind of subverts stereotypes. I feel like it doesn't try to do the stereotypical characters. Yeah. Like, um, Corey Hawkins is a little bit. Nate Parker and Corey Hawkins are a little bit stereotypical. Um. 
but yeah, I mean, Nate Parker is kind of a basic character. I don't think there's anything specific. Maybe not Parker. I think I think Hawkins is a little stereotypical. We we could be a little better there. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I like. I, I like. Nary is a stereotype of glasses wearing characters. He's like it's sniveling and like pushes up his glasses a lot with his finger. Uh, that is all glasses work. Um, people. Um, let's talk about Liam Neeson. I love Liam Neeson in these roles. I think he's really good at the flawed hero. I think he actually has some of the best acting moments in this movie when he talks about how you know he was a crappy dad, he was a bad cop. Um, I think he has a cup like that's a decent monologue in there. Mm-hmm. When he gets to the, he's very good at that stuff. He's very convincing as these kind of rough, rugged characters with like, um, like a past and some demons. Like he's really good at playing a guy who you can just see with the way he talks in the movie. He has that sense of like the weight on his shoulders. He's really good at that type of character. Like you can see very quickly. Oh, you've got there's something. There's something there. Like he never looks like a character who's completely um, unburdened by his own life and his own life choices. I also think Liam Neeson is just kind of great. Yeah, I mean, really this, is, this is his, he's he does these roles for the past ten years for a reason. He's so he's good really, at them. He's also just like he has a very intimidating um, figure to him. His he's huge. Body. He's a huge dude. Huge. And so when he's like is acting aggressive, you know, on the plane, you can see. I, I now I'm turning. I'm turning backwards. I'm gonna say you can understand why they're a little scared and intimidated because he just is <laughs> as intimidating, aggressive, and you know has some anger that is right on his sleeves. Like, um. It, it is it's kind of terrifying but and you he's also just like believable kicking his ass on that plane as well and his punches look like they fucking hurt he also is kind of like I, I like the fact that they set up that um not only is he going to be put in a stressful and scary situation but he's a little bit paranoid himself and i think because of the job like you see and also his own um demons and his own substance abuse issues um so like he even at the beginning he just like he starts suspecting everyone that's what kind of makes the movie a little bit more interesting is not only is he suspecting the people who turn out to be the bad guys, but he also suspects people of doing something that turn out to be completely innocent or suspects people of being a terrorist when they actually just turn out to be a drug dealer. And I think that like that level of suspicion um, and is part of what adds to the tension and gets it ramped up. So the point when people start turning on Neeson, you're like, I kind of get it. Because you do, I think there are moments in the movie, like you know, you get the thing about the 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 bank account for the money is in his name. Um, everyone on the manifest, everyone on the plane has a clean record except for him. So that kind of puts you in this really good, interesting position where the person who is supposed to be the authority, supposed to be protecting everyone, is the person that has the most baggage. And I think that kind of um, presents a, like a really gray moral situation about you know. If you're a person who doesn't know all the details, who doesn't know anything that's happening, you know, how do you react to this? I don't know if I was on that plane, if I would be like, yeah, Liam Neeson's the good guy. There are definitely moments in this movie he does not look like the good guy. Yeah, the way he reacts, he definitely goes overboard. He's also like, he's got that kind of gruff, like old school cop thing going. He's not, um, he's doesn't trying to talk the tension down. Like he's sort of like, in some ways that's his biggest, his flaw as a character is that when the situation gets rough and people start getting mad and wondering what he's doing, he's not good at de-escalating. He doesn't de-escalate. He does not de-escalate the situation and make it better. He sometimes escalates the situation, which brings the tension of the movie up, but also makes his job harder to do. But I also think Liam Neeson great at these like kind of broken down, flawed hero guys. Yeah, and what what I think works really well with this performance is that I am getting pretty tired of the trope of alcoholism as shorthand for this guy's going through shit. 
Like it just mm-hmm. it don't we just watched it with you know man on fire, um, and it's just like you know they're going through a hard time because they're drinking a lot. But I, I feel between his performance and the movie, they don't really spend too much focus. Like it's there, but it's not as out of control as it is with other characters. But also no. doesn't still doesn't seem to be the defining feature for him. I think the way he internalizes his pain, it seems more real rather than just being a effect of the alcohol. Like you, I think his performance is emoting his grief much more than it is emoting the the alcoholism, which I think in other films that takes over. He's really good at showing that grief with like his body language. Yeah. Like his shoulders is like a really big thing. He like he sits down and he sighs. Like he looks in pain. He looks like there's something troubling him. Like there's a there's like this sense of melancholy and a sense of like suffering and real problems that when you later are revealed, oh, his kid got like cancer when she was five and he kept working and wasn't there for her, and then he carries that guilt around. One I don't think it's hard to look at that guilt and be like, I totally understand why you would feel guilty about not being there as your kid died from cancer. But I would also understand at the same time why you would want to work more when your kid was dying from cancer and you couldn't do anything to stop it. And then I would also understand why you would, you know, be forever scarred by that. That's not something I think a person's ever going to get past if you lose your small child to cancer. That's like one of the worst possible things that could happen to him. And it kind of, you know, his, his, you know, he just feels guilty about it. And I think he starts feeling guilty in this um, search for the terrorist because he ends up killing somebody that wasn't the terrorist. And then he starts realizing, and then people start dying. And then he thinks it's that the guy's going to kill a passenger and he kills part of the crew and he keeps making mistakes. Like in some ways um, this movie works because Liam Neeson is not the best detective. He doesn't figure it out right away. He keeps making mistakes and people die. And, um, you see him keep like lumping the guilt on top of him to the point where he has to figure it out. And even at the end of the movie, he kind of gets to this point where like, I don't know if this is going to succeed, but we have to do this, this plan where we put the bomb against this door and we pile all the luggage against it because I can't just let everybody die. Like he clearly can't deal with that grief. He can't deal with that guilt of doing that after he's made so many mistakes already. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> I have lots to share. Yeah. Um, and then the small thing we've already talked about, I do think there's a cool, I like the fact that they, um, I like the fact that they play with stereotypes around terrorists mm-hmm. by acknowledging that they exist. So I like, I like the fact that Liam Neeson in the airport gives the double look to the Muslim guy, but then it doesn't lead into him continuing that stereotype without evidence. I think there's like a good um, acknowledgement and then try and then subversion of the stereotypes. And yes, he becomes kind of like the good character, which is also a little stereotypy, but I do like the fact that there are at least, um, there's at least, it feels like a, at least a somewhat of a reckoning with those stereotypes. I feel like, you know, you know, I feel like if you're going to make a movie about terrorists on a plane and stuff like this, you need to acknowledge that those exist and that those are not a thing that, you know, we don't, not everybody is looked at the same way on an airplane. And I actually think it's, what's interesting is um, the the people he focuses on is the potential bad guys or the people he gives the double look to are, you know, Corey Hawkins, who's the guy who's, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, he's dressed sort of ghetto-ish. Like that's kind of, I think, the, the attempt is the attempt was what they're attempting to dress him like. It's, it, there's not. I don't have a better term for that. I'm just. I'm. Um, I think it's the stereotype. And then you have the Muslim guy. And I think the fact that 
that's the initial focus of the character's suspicion. And then the people who end up turning out to be the bad guys are kind of the um, dressed up, um, more affluent Nate Parker. And then, yeah. and then the sort of white glasses weakling Scoot McNary is kind of a good play on like a little bit of stereotypes. Because I, I think I don't think it has a lot to do with that, but I think you have to at least acknowledge that those things exist when you make a movie like this. I think it is very purposeful. I think that's yes. the thing with the film is the concept of terrorism and, and how serious of what you expect from terrorism. Because the mm. whole their whole motivation is basically causing terror to prevent further terrorism. It's uh, a weird. Yeah, they're weird. They're gonna. They want to, um, you know, crash this plane so that they can take everyone. Will take airplane security more, uh, more seriously, um, because he was, you know, so broken up about his dad dying in nine eleven. So I think the message saying, you know, you shouldn't hire drunk, you know, air marshals, um, and um, also be a little more thorough with, you know, who you take seriously on planes. I could be anybody. And that it was so, it said it was so easy for them to do, which no way this was easy. This is a very complicated set of events for them to get this. He's like, ah, it's so easy. And then it's how you get through. You guys aren't like taking it serious enough that because, you know, they don't um, look um, the stereotype of what the terrorists can, they got away with it. So it was, it was about, you know, taking that, that concept more serious. So well, I think so. with them being, you know, less than the expected then. So, yeah, it's like saying that, like, you know, maybe your threat, terrorist threat on a plane is not people with guns taking over a cabin or people with, you know, explosive devices strapped to them trying to blow up the plane. It could be people using technology to infiltrate um, the ranks of the air marshals and then try to frame the air marshal. And basically their goal is to frame Marx as a terrorist, saying, look, your organization had a terrorist in it, which, of course, embarrasses the air marshals. Yeah. And yeah, but also the I think there's a plan the lack of screening of uh, the air marshals that they're able to go on without actual security checks because that's how they get the bomb on. That's how you know the other guy was getting cocaine on. So they're putting a spotlight on that that maybe no everybody should be seen as um, possible culprits and no one should be deemed innocent, including the people there to protect your safety. Yeah, I think this movie uses technology in some cool ways. Like you know, I think using the technology, especially at the beginning with the phone usage, to create characters' suspicion of each other. And I think it's kind of fascinating in this era, you know, this era. I mean, they start, you know, they start, you know, circling all the people who are using their phones. And it's like, it's 20 people. Of course, there's a bunch of people using their phones. Why wouldn't they use it? Of course, everyone uses their phones. And I think then um, they, the guys, the terrorists use their program to convince, you know, um, Marks that uh, his other air marshal is the person doing it. And they also convinced the other guy to go to the bathroom to meet him. And using technology to threaten both people. And then also um, technology allows video of this being filmed to get out, which allows um, news agencies to start calling it a terrorist attack and, you know, hijacking by marks. And then that makes everybody in the crew start realizing, oh, maybe he's a terrorist and try to take him down. And um, even like slipping each other phones. And like there's all these interesting work of, you know, if you have a phone that can be set as the like the trigger. I think it just uses technology in a lot of ways, especially to make people um, suspicious of each other at the beginning of the film. Um, yeah, for sure. And there's also, you know, Nate Parker being treated as the like master of cell phone programming. There's also a way to twist it as well. Um, yeah. 
that's interesting. Is all the technology feasible? I don't know. I know nothing about technology. The Air Marshal like phone networks is a little weird to me, but I guess. Yeah, I'm not. I'm sorry. I don't know how to make uh, a virus through a picture message to send it to somebody. I'm not, I'm not talented enough to do that. At least you work on that. <laughs> um, let's see. Anything else we want to talk about? Um, anything about specifically about this film you want to talk about? Zach? Um. I don't think I have a comment. I mean, I, I feel like I came off trying to poke holes. I think that was just coming on um, just to um, challenge you a little bit, just because I know you love this movie. So it's just mm -hmm. a, it almost devil's advocate say, because I do did have a great time. And especially the first hour, I was like, what is this movie? So like, why are people casual? Like, this is like pretty amazing. And I just I say, I got a little more bored. I got a little more generic at the end, but still a fun watch and much more than I would have thought. I'm having fun with this play, Marathon. I, I was worried about the broiness of it. Um, but but for the most part, like I'm, it, a lot of these movies are, are still pretty engaging, and, and and this is, you know, great use of the plane setting that you kind of touched upon as well, using the claustrophobia of a, a set plane, and um, this is the start of our commercial flight uh, mini marathon because we're only doing two commercial flight movies, so that's right, that's right. Yeah, next one will, will be a hero at least. Yeah, I will say, I mean, actually, only, yeah, the, the, the next hero only saves slightly more than Mark saved. Mark saved 150 people. Um, I will say, I will, I will, I will, um, to counterbalance it, I know we're like a whole star apart in the rating. I will say one thing that I do agree doesn't work is the reveal of the terrorists. Um, it is, um, is rushed. They just don't have, a, they don't have a lot of time for it. Um. I do kind of like the, I do like the one thing I like about it. I I do like the fact I do like the fact that Nate Parker is just like yeah I'm in it for the money, and then Scoot McNary is like the wacko anarchist idealist. I think this is I, you know I'm going to change the world with one action. Like I do kind of like the fact that they have a bit of an overreaction to your dad. I know it's I don't say like how to react when you're your parents died. He seems like he's like you know what. It's all of America's fault, and I'm gonna like hijack a plane and kill a bunch of people because my dad died. He seems like he has some underlying mental health problems that may have been existing pre-dad dying as well. Because uh, I don't think you go from my dad died to um, fr framing the entire air marshals organization as terrorists is is uh, is my goal. It also doesn't make a lot, ton of sense that he was able to do this. They don't make it seem like he is like intelligent or. I think they Parker a little more believable. They get the military background, but also yeah. his his technology background site having him as like a programmer Which but that's the entire point of Scoot McNary is that his entire character is forgettable and he's the character you pass over and then of course he's the bad guy mm -hmm. yeah I do want to talk about one thing before we uh move on um or end this podcast non-stop super fun I know I liked it more than Zach but I think um you know Liam Neeson makes really these Liam Neeson old man action movies are kind of fun and I wanted to know what Zach thinks of the Liam Neeson old and action movie. So I was going to read out some titles and Zach, you're going to tell me what you think of these. I, I, I can make this real quick. Okay. Shoot. I've seen um, the gray and I see nothing else. Really? You haven't seen, so no taken. I haven't seen any taken. This is what I'm saying. These aren't things I get excited about and I just haven't given them a chance to maybe I'd like a more sell me, I guess. Cause I'm like the, the gray, the gray is really good. Gray's the gray good. Is, gray is really good. Um, unknowns a little underwhelming. But kind of cool twist. And I like wolves. Do not watch Taken Two or Three. They're very bad. Nonstop is fun. A Walk Among the Tombstones. I think you would like A Walk Among the Tombstones. Is more like a classic uh, mystery it's story. Good. It's Liam Neeson and Dan Stevens. Quite good. Um, commuter. I've not seen one like the Commuter. 
uh, I definitely think you'd enjoy because it's a uh, like it's very similar to nonstop, but kind of nonstop on a on a train. Another fun. world we're doing the computer instead of nonstop. If, if things were a little different a few weeks ago in our poll. <laughs> and then um, I like Cold Pursuit, which is uh, sort of taken, but with a snowplow. Taken with a snowplow. Okay, I thought that was more of a dark comedy. And then uh, It's a little bit of a dark comedy, but it's more of an action movie, and I actually think quite good. I'm a fan. Liam Neeson. Uh, I'm happy. I'm excited to watch Honest Thief. I'm excited to watch... What about the... his best action movie Schindler's List? Or Schindler's List. Kenzie. I love Schindler's List. My favorite Liam Neeson movie, but it's not a favorite movie, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's uh, like top five, but all time, but not my favorite. Um, yeah, so good. Liam Neeson, very talented. I do legitimately think Zach, you would like um, A Walk Among the Tombstones, and probably The Commuter. I don't know if you like some of the others. Uh, Taken two and three are Taken three is atrociously bad. It's really bad. They should not have made three of them. It was it was not a good enough concept. And actually, one of the things you notice in Taken that they um, get better at as they go on, especially with stuff like The Grey and then um, Nonstop, is that the problem with Taken is that the supporting cast around him is kind of shit. They're not very good actors. Like, his daughter is kind of atrociously bad. Like, they're really kind of bad. But then you get something like Nonstop or The Grey, and they kind of they've, – they've figured out the character actors that you should put around Liam Neeson, and it just works a lot better. Like, The Grey has a good cast. Yeah, because you know who's the best cast member you could have? Who's the best cast member? Wolves! There should be wolves in every movie. There should be wolves on this airplane. Zach Ford, lots of wolves in every movie. All right, you know what? I'll accept it. Wolves in every movie. Uh, I think we're done. Got anything else? Liam Neeson? Uh, anything else, Liam? This isn't Liam Neeson month. I have a lot no. more about planes. Any more about planes? Okay, you want to talk about planes? Um, Yes. So when we paint planes in the bathtub are we just going to recreate um all the planes that we've seen in these movies are we recreating the non-stop plane no we are recreating the uh air flying scenes in air force one particularly uh taking the missile for the present all right <laughs> that, and, and we're gonna have the zip line connecting we're gonna have two bathtubs we're gonna have zip lines between bathtubs Connecting our planes. Zip lines between bathtubs. Um, Theo's going to crawl across it from one bathtub to the next. I like this plan. I like this plan. Uh, I think we're done here. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. This was fun. We talked about Liam Neeson. We talked about action movies. We talked about uh, planes. We talked about um, probably some really really dumb stuff at the beginning. Yeah, Lupinity Angle, I feel bad because, like, um, talking about our college. It feels it feels weird to to, to watch yes. a, a movie with Lupita Nyong'o after she won an Oscar and not really talk about her, but also she has absolutely nothing, nothing to do in this movie. She is she is the second most important flight attendant, and she has like five lines. She's also and, only two flight attendants. So that I feel like that made her sound better. She's the second out of the eight flight attendants. There's only two flight attendants. Yeah. she's also last important flight. Her, attendant. her starring role She's-, in the movie is being thanked by Michelle Dockery for showing up. Um, she gets to like comfort the kid at one point. That's like her highlight scene. Yeah, there's not a lot. Um, with that being said, thank you everyone for listening. This was fun. Zach is fun. I am fun. We will be back next week. Very nice. When we talk about the savior of 155 souls, <laughs> it's Sully. Sully. Um, so I, I don't have a song for you because I've been reading the lyrics to Fly Like an Eagle, <laughs> and the song is about something that is completely different than what I thought it was. <laughs> 
so I'm gonna read out the lyrics as we outro. All right, um, do it. Feed the babies who don't have enough to eat. Shoe Agreed. the children with no shoes on their feet. House the people living in the street. Oh, there's a solution. I wanna fly like an eagle <laughs> into the sea. <laughs> fly like an eagle, Lucas and Zach podcast. Yeah. That song has absolutely nothing to do with.